Or grab your copy of God's Word, go with me to the book of Joel, chapter 2. Remember, the easy way to find Joel is to find the big book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel, and then just turn to the right, Ezekiel, then Daniel, then Hosea. Then you find the prophet Joel. So Joel, chapter 2. Joel, chapter 2. How many of you guys have ever seen the movie Dr. Doolittle? Y'all seen that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, an, it's an oldie but a goodie. Um, he's an eccentric veterinarian who um, has this remarkable ability to communicate with animals. And there have been several versions over the years, right? When you, think, when you hear Dr. Doolittle, you, you might immediately think of Robert Downey Jr.'s version, which was more like an action movie. Or maybe you go back, you're a little more old school like me, and you think of the 1998 version with Eddie Murphy, which was a comedy version of it. But some of us may go all the way back in our minds to 1967 when that version of Dr. Doolittle with Rex Harrison was a musical and it was filled with, with song and dance and all that kind of stuff. It was that version of Dr. Doolittle that a, a key part of the story is this very strange animal that was given to Dr. Doolittle to help him to raise some money by an American Indian friend. Check it out right here in this picture here. It is called a push me, pull you. All right. A push me, pull you. <laughs> and as you can see there, it's essentially a two headed llama. And so in order to raise money for this upcoming animal expedition, Dr. Doolittle, he takes this push me, pull you and leases it to a circus. And when the owner of the circus, Mr. Albert Blossom sees it, First off, he's amazed. And secondly, he starts seeing dollar signs. You know what I'm talking about there? <laughs> but he's never seen anything like it in the world. And then like any good musical, what happens? Well, he breaks out into song. Have a listen to the song. Seen the world, I've been around. I can tell you stories that would quite astound you. I'm not the fool. I went to school. I've been from Liverpool to Istanbul. Istanbul, I'm no fool. And anyone will tell you that I'm sharper than a knife. But I've never seen anything like it in my life. It push me, pull you. Is it? Well, I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen anything like it in my life. It's the rarest animal on earth. It certainly is. Well, how many of you guys would agree with Mr. Blossom? You've never seen anything like that in your life. Yeah, me, me either, right? Well, as we turn here to Joel chapter two, we continue in our series entitled A Time to Turn. And I believe as we turn to this chapter here that I believe we can say the same thing about what we read here. It's describing the day of the Lord. And beloved, listen to me this morning. You have never, you've never seen anything like it in your life. It's going to be a day like no day before it. And it's going to be a day like will never happen again. And while, let's, let's just be honest, while that little ditty right there from Dr. Doolittle, it was kind of light and it was happy and it was full of wonder. The day of the Lord will not be. The day of the Lord will not be. It'll be heavy 
The Bible tells us here it'll be sorrowful. It will be full of dread. In fact, the title of today's message is The Dreadful Day of the Lord. Because on that day, the Lord and his army will bring an overwhelming end to this age. It'll be the calamity of all calamities as we kind of talked about last week, right? I mean, every calamity here on earth, it points us to that great eschatological calamity that's coming on the entire earth at the end of the age. It's called the day of the Lord. Every calamity here on earth is just a foretaste of that great and terrible day. They prepare us for the day of the Lord and you have never seen anything like it in your life. We saw it alluded to last week in Joel chapter one, verse 15, where we read, alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is near and as destruction from the almighty, it comes. It was a devastating locust plague last week that was accompanied by a stifling drought and then a sweeping wildfire as it pointed to the day of the Lord. And as we move here to Joel 2, we jump from what was to what will be. You see, the locust plague is just a springboard in the prophet Joel there from the day in the life of Israel when this locust plague and this wildfire and this drought was there. It's this springboard to the prophetic horizon at the end of the age when the entire world will experience the day of the Lord. And so we read in Joel chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Blow a trumpet, Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. So that leads us to today's truth. It's very simple this morning. The truth I want you to walk out of here with that I believe this text is pointing us to is this simple truth. The day of the Lord is coming. And here in the book of Joel, we get a glimpse of what that day is gonna be like. We're gonna get a, a pretty intense description, but before we get to the description, I wanna make sure that we have a proper definition of what the day of the Lord is, right? We, we see this event talked about all over the Bible. The phrase pointing to this day is expressed in a few different ways other than just the day of the Lord like it is here in Joel 2. We also see it expressed simply as that day or the last day. Some authors in the Bible call it the day of God. And we come into the New Testament, we, we see the Lord Jesus Christ brought in to the phrases to express this day, the day of our Lord Jesus, or we see it as the day of Jesus Christ, or just the day of Christ, or the fullest expression that we see is the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. What exactly is this event? Well, Elmer Martins, he defines it this way. He says the day of the Lord, quote, refers to the time when God will intervene decisively for judgment and or salvation. The expression highlights the unmistakable appearance of God. God will make visible his rule of righteousness by calling for an accounting by the nations as well as individuals, dispensing, punish, uh, dispensing punishment for some and ushering in salvation 
for others, end quote. Now, of course, coming to the New Testament, as I said, the the day of the Lord is explicitly connected to the second coming of Christ, which will usher in the end of this age, bringing us straight into the eternal age to come. So beloved, make no mistakes about it. The day of the Lord is coming. But what will it be like? Well, let's look here specifically at the book of Joel. Here in Joel chapter two, verse one through 11, we're gonna get five specifics here about the day of the Lord to help us to understand what it's going to be like. Now that we know what it is, what's it gonna be like? And the first thing we learn about the day of the Lord is that it is near. It is near. We see that explicitly right here in the second half of Joel 2, 1. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming it is near. Now, when you read that word nearness there, that it's near, it's not talking about distance. It's talking about the timing. The timing is near. Beloved, it won't be long. It's just around the corner. It'll happen before you know it. And here's the deal. It'll happen when you least expect it. That's what we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse one through three here, it says, now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord, listen to this, listen to this language here, will come like a thief in the night while people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape so the day of the Lord is near we see that expressed three different times in the book of Joel we're not going to read them but it's there in Joel 1 15 which we've already read and Joel 2 1 which we've already read and and if you just flip to the third chapter there in Joel 3 14 you see it there again that the day of the Lord is near but that's not the only place in the scripture that we get this time stamp we see it in Isaiah 13 6 Isaiah 13, 6 says, Wail for the day of the Lord is near. Zephaniah 1, 7 and then 1, 14 says, Be silent before the Lord for the day of the Lord is near. Skip down to verse 14. Zephaniah 1, 14, The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. Ezekiel 30, verse 3, For the day is near what day well the day of the lord he says it again is near i mean i could go on and on here but that's the sentiment that is that is expressed all over all over scripture right the the sentiment of 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 nearness now you may be tempted to think preacher come on man wasn't this written by prophet joel something like three thousand years ago it doesn't seem that near Well, it's certainly closer than yesterday, amen? Certainly closer than yesterday. But Apostle Peter, he addresses this temptation to say it doesn't seem that near. In 2 Peter chapter three, beginning in the third verse, going down through the 10th, I want you to hear all of this. And Pastor David read this, a portion of this a moment ago. 
knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They'll say, <laughs> and they have to say it with a laugh because they're scoffing, right? <laughs> Where's the promise of his coming? Forever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. They're saying it's always been this way. And since it's always been this way, it's always going to be this way. But the Holy Spirit says through Apostle Peter, verse five, for they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water through the water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So he says, you want to you wonder if, if the day of the Lord is near? Just go ask the people in Noah's day. Go ask the people in Noah's day who watched him build a boat, a huge boat in a dry land for years. Ask them if everything always goes as has it went, as it has went. No, no, ask them. No, no, things can change in the bleak of an eye, right? Verse eight, pick it up in verse eight, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. How can that be? That's because God is not in time. That's mind-blowing, right? You try to wrap your mind around that, that God is not in time. He's not. He is outside of time. Time is a creation of the Lord. And because of that, one day is like a thousand years to him and a thousand years is like a day. Verse nine, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Here it is, like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So beloved, the, the day of the Lord is coming. Don't look to the past to determine if it's gonna happen. Look to the word of God as to whether or not it's going to happen. And the word of God says it is. It's near when we should live every day, every day expecting it could be today because the day of the Lord is always near. That's the first thing we learn. Hear from prophet Joel about the day of the Lord. Here's the second thing. We learn it will be devastating. It'll be devastating. Remember last week, the picture that was painted was this locust plague. Look at Joel 1.4. Remember we read this. It said, what the cutting locust left, the swarming locust is eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. And if you remember, I said, there's nothing scientific about that description. It's merely prophetic, poetic ways of saying that the locust brought total devastation. But the devastation brought by the locust plague, listen, y'all. It pales in comparison to the devastation that will be brought about on the day of the Lord. Look at verse two and three in Joel two here. Joel two, verse two and three, it says a day of darkness and gloom 
a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness, there spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people. There, like has never been before, nor will ever be again after them through the years of all generations, fire devours them and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but behind them, a desolate wilderness and nothing escapes them. You got to understand about this as we, I mean, this is apocalyptic literature in that sense, right? It's talking about the, the big end time sort of things. And what you got to understand about apocalyptic literature is that it's not meant to necessarily communicate to us fact by fact by fact. It is meant to knock you down. That's what it's meant to do. And so when you read all of this heightened language, it's meant to evoke in you an emotional response. It's meant to say, oh my goodness. And that's what we see right there, this devastation that's brought about. Now, we get a similar description from other prophets. Amos chapter five, verse 18 and 19 says, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. I love the vividness of scripture there. Zephaniah chapter one, verse seven through 18. I, 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 this is a long passage, so I want you to, but I want you to hear all of it. Because Zephaniah takes the same themes that we see here in Joel and expands on them. We get much more detail into the devastation that the day of the Lord is going to bring about. Zephaniah 1, beginning in the seventh verse, we're going to read down through the 18th. It says, be silent before the Lord God. For the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests. And on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, he says, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all who array themselves in foreign attire. On that day, I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold. That was a pagan ritual. And those who fill their master's houses with violence and fraud. On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will be heard from the fish gate, a wail from the second quarter, a loud crash from the hills. Well, O inhabitants of the mortar, for all the traders are no more. All who weigh out silver are cut off. At that time, I'll search Jerusalem with lamps and I'll punish the men who are complacent. Those who say in the hearts, the Lord will not do good nor will he do ill. The Lord, their goods shall be plundered and their houses laid waste. Though they build houses, they shall not inhabit them. Though they plant vineyards, they shall not drink wine from them. Verse 14, the great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening. Do you hear the devastation here? The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast 
and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. Verse 17, I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they've sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. In the fire of his jealousy, all of the earth shall be consumed for a full and sudden end. He will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. You see what I'm talking about? Apocalyptic words from the Lord are meant to knock us down. They are meant to shut our mouths and they are to make us tremble before a holy, righteous, just God who hates wickedness. I mean, I could go on here in the Old Testament, several other passages, but, but do you get the picture? It will be absolute destruction. The book of Revelation, of course, picks up on these themes if you want to understand the book of Revelation, you've got to understand the Old Testament prophets, right? I mean, that, that's where so much of this imagery comes from. But nevertheless, the, the book of Revelation picks up on this theme several times, but one of the most vivid is found in Revelation 14. Verse 17 through 20 says this, Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle, Another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire, and he called with a loud voice to the ones who had the sharp sickle, put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city. Listen to this. And blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. Beloved, this day will be incomparable to any in the history of the world in terms of its devastation. The day of the Lord will be devastating. But third, we learn that it will be fast. It'll be fast. Now, being from Kentucky, when I think of fast things, guess what I think of? Horses, that's right. Now, I could have said from Bowling Green, I think of what? Corvettes. <laughs> but I really do think of thoroughbred horses when I think about things that are fast. And man, those things are fast. They top out at almost 50 miles an hour, a thoroughbred horse does. Now, it's one thing to drive a Corvette really fast. It's one thing to drive a Corvette 50 miles an hour. I mean, that's nothing. But you drive a horse, you ride a horse? <laughs> 50 miles an hour, that is a hair-curling experience, right? But God, through the prophet Joel here, he compares the swiftness of the day of the Lord to horses here. Look at verse four, Joel 2, 4. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses and like war horses, they run. So these are not just thoroughbred race horses here. These are thoroughbred war horses. 
Just picture them in your mind for a minute. The biggest, toughest, thoroughbred horses you can think of in full battle array with their armor on and their mane tied into little little, little uh, knots and, and their tail and all of those things. Just picture that in your mind. The day of the Lord will be fast like that. But then he changes imagery here. He changes imagery and then he compares the swiftness of the day of the Lord to a wildfire devouring dry stubble. Now look, if you try to burn something green, it's hard to burn. And if it's dry wood, I mean, it'll burn, but it's a slow burn. But if it's nothing but stubble, if it's nothing but straw, it burns up like that. Look at verse five, Joel 2, 5. As with the rumbling of chariots, they leap on the tops of the mountains like the crackling of a flame of fire devouring the stubble, like a powerful army drawn up for battle. Can't you just picture in your mind a swift wildfire, a blaze sweeping across a dry grassland, sparking and devouring everything it touches? But when I think of the fastest thing I can think of, I think of the speed of light, right? I mean, that is the fastest thing in creation. Did you know the speed of light travels 670 million miles an hour? Let me say that again. The speed of light travels 670 million miles an hour. That, that, that's so fast, it's, vo it's virtually unfathomable. It's so quick. Yet as we come into the New Testament, here in Joel, we've got horses, we've got a wildfire burning through stubble, but we come into the New Testament here with the Lord Jesus and he compares the swiftness of the day of the Lord in Matthew 24, 27 in this way. He says, for as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. The day of the Lord will be like a lightning flash. Happens in the blink of an eye. Did you guys know that on April 9, 2020, Mississippi set a record? Did y'all know that? They set a record in this way. The World Meteorological Organization, they announced that a single lightning strike broke the world record for the longest distance lightning flash. It was a flash that began in the skies over Houston, Texas, but guess where it stretched to? Just south of Meridian, Mississippi. Almost 500 miles. And you know how long it took that lightning bolt to travel from Houston, Texas to just down the road from here? Faster than when they saw it flash in Houston, we saw it flash here. It was that fast. And that's how fast, beloved, the day of the Lord will come in a split second. The Lord will come like lightning. That's how fast it'll be. The fourth thing we learn from the book of Joel here about the day of the Lord is that it will be unstoppable. It'll be unstoppable. Look at verse six through nine here in Joel 2. Joel 2, 6 through 9, before 
the Lord and his army, peoples are in anguish. All faces grow pale. Like warriors, they charge. Like soldiers, they scale the wall. Like uh, they, they, they march each on his way. They do not swerve from their paths. They do not jostle one another. Each marches in his path. They burst through the weapons and are not halted. They leap up on the city and they run up on the walls and they climb up into the houses and enter through the windows like a thief. Beloved, what that's saying there is that they will be unstoppable. Warriors won't stop them, right? Walls won't stop them. Weapons won't stop them. <laughs> Windows won't stop them. There is no escape. They have one mission. And they ain't playing. They're not horsing around. They're not fooling around. They intend to work at that mission and they will not stop until the mission is accomplished. And once the Lord and his army is unleashed, they will not turn back. They will not be hemmed in. They will not be bottled back up. Again, we've already read this, but I, I just want to remind you of this. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse two and three. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night while people are saying there is peace and security. Listen to this. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. I've been there for the birth of all five of my children. And while there are many things I can say about that, one thing that I can say for sure is that once that baby was coming, there was no stopping that baby until he was born or until she was born. And the same thing is gonna happen here, right? Try as the mother might to stave it off and to hold off and to just wait just a little bit longer. The baby is coming. And the day of the Lord is gonna be just like that. Once it begins, it will be unstoppable. The day of the Lord and his army, the Lord and his army will not stop until all has been accomplished. And the final thing this morning we learn about the day of the Lord is that it will be cosmic. It will be cosmic. Joel 2.10 tells us the earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon are darkened and the stars withdraw their shining. So this event will not just be an earthly event because God is not just the God of earth. He's the God of the universe, right? This event will involve the entire cosmos. Now, how literalistic is this description? Well, we're not sure. Again, this is apocalyptic language here. Again, meant to not necessarily be literalistically accurate in its description, but it's meant to invoke an emotional response. But I have no doubt that the entire universe will experience calamity. Jesus described this day in similar fashion when he said in Matthew 24, 29 through 31, he said, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, 
The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in, the, in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. Remember? Joel chapter two, verse one, sound the trumpet in Zion and he will send out his angels. It says here, verse 31, with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Again, we read in second Peter three ten that the heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and its works that are done on it will be exposed. Guys, it will be a cosmic day. And so beloved, hear me this morning. The dreadful day of the Lord is coming. Which brings me this morning to the most important question. Who can endure it? Who can endure it? You see, that's the very question that God asks through Joel by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 11. Joel 2, 11. The Lord utters his voice before his army for his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Not like we use the word awesome. Dude, that's awesome. No, it's actually more like we would use the word awful. It is great and awful. And then God asks this question, who can endure it? And the answer, beloved, is nobody. Nobody can endure it. Nobody can withstand the unleashing of God Almighty on them, right? You don't stand a chance. You may think that you're big and that you're bad and that you're tough as nails and you're gonna do what you're gonna do and the Lord can go pound sand, but listen to me. He could merely blow on you. Not even with the force, but just... And you would disintegrate into a billion pieces. Yet Joel tells us that he is bringing more force than that. You would have a better chance withstanding getting hit by a nuclear warhead than you have withstanding the Lord on this day. He will not be thwarted. And so if you are in opposition to him, you will not endure it so who can endure it? Nobody. But who will endure it? Well, Joel doesn't really get into that at this point. He's going to get into that. But that's a question we have to answer. If nobody can endure it, then who will endure it? And the answer is those who are on his side. Those who have turned from sin 
and have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, they will endure it because they're covered by the blood of the Lamb. When all the wrath of God is poured out on the earth in that day, they will be shielded by the blood of the Lamb. And let's tie this into what we were talking about just earlier about the opportunity that you and I have between now and Easter. You have people that God has placed around you that are not covered by the blood of the lamb. And you say, I know them. Do you know where they stand with God? God has given you the home that he's given you at the address he has given it to you that you might reach those around you that they might understand that the day of the Lord is coming. And I get it. You're not going to go to their front door, knock on the front door. Hey, the day of the Lord is coming. You're going to (laughs) die. We don't do it that way. But it's this truth that you hold in your heart that if they do not turn from sin and trust in Christ, everything we just read throughout the entirety of scripture will hit them at full force. Don't let that happen. I pray that you'll accept the challenge we talked about. I pray that you will get out of your comfort zone and begin to pray and begin to care and begin to share about the hope that is in Jesus Christ. But the truth of the matter is, we're not just talking about those who are out there. There are people right now in this room who have not yet turned from sin and trust in Christ. Listen, I was there that for years I sat in church, not every Sunday, very seldom to be honest with you, but for years I would attend church with friends and whatnot and I sat there not covered by the blood of the lamb. And what Joel is talking about here, if, I, if, if the Lord had not tarried, if the Lord had, had decided to come back, Before I came to trust in Christ, I would have experienced everything right here. And so I want you to understand this morning, if you're here in this service, praise God that you're here and praise God that you've heard this message and praise God that God has extended his mercy and grace to every one of you. If you will turn from sin and trust in Christ, you will be saved from the wrath of God that's coming on the earth. If you'll admit that you're a sinner and believe on Jesus Christ, ask the Lord to save you. Ask him to be your, 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 not just your savior, but your Lord. You will be saved. And I pray that happens before the Lord comes back, before the day of the Lord comes. I I still remember 
I was in elementary school when this happened, but I still remember, late elementary school, but nevertheless, still elementary school, I still remember one of the fastest military victories in American history. Operation Desert Storm, which was the American liberation of the nation of Kuwait from its Iraqi aggressors. Saddam Hussein and all of his henchmen were there and taking over the oil fields and all of that stuff. And as the US military rolled into Kuwait, the Iraqi soldiers, for the most part, didn't even try to fight back, didn't even fire a shot, a lot of them. Why? Because they knew it was either surrender or die in defeat. And beloved, I want to say to you this is just as nicely as I can this morning. Those are the only two options that you have. Surrender to Christ or die in defeat. The day of the Lord is, is near. It's devastating. It'll be fast. It'll be unstoppable. It'll be cosmic. You will not endure it in opposition to God. Therefore, I beg you this morning, turn from sin and trust in Christ before it's everlastingly too late. And I beg you, if you are already in Christ, if you're already covered by the blood of the lamb, go share with someone that they might be covered as well. Begin in your family and then begin with your neighbors and then go to your coworkers and then go to your community, all your spheres of influence that they may be covered by the blood of the lamb. Here's my final prayer this morning. May you make peace with God through Christ before his army arrives.